Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. And good morning, this is Annie for Showreel, and uh, as you might have guessed from the opening of this show, we talk about how Australians represent themselves in visual culture, uh, including mostly film, I must say. And uh, also we look at technicians and others who help to create the magic. And this morning, we've got John Ruane. G'day, John. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm <laughs> very pleased to have John Ruane. John Ruane is the uh, director of A Death in Brunswick, which is a fabulous film, Australian film, and made in 1990. And now it's its 25th anniversary screening. Correct, Annie. I've come out of the grave to actually uh, to to be at the screening. Yeah, know. which is on Sunday, right? Sunday at the Nova at uh, quarter to six. Yeah, quarter to six. And every, uh, be there or be square. Uh, it, you're going to be there and Zoe uh, Karedis. Zoe Karedis. Karedis, sorry. And... Uh, and uh, John Clark, who are all stars of this fabulous film. Correct, yeah. Yeah, so there's a Q&A, not just the film, but a Q&A. Now, before we go on and talk about Death in Brunswick and why it's such a fabulous film, uh, you can tell us a bit more about your uh, filmmaking career because uh, you're part of that uh, the resurrection of the Australian film industry, aren't you? The resurrection. Yeah, there's lots of terms coming out of the grave. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I suppose I did a film that had some um, note in 1975, a film called Queensland. It had John Flaus in it, and, um, and he uh, shaved his beard off after 20-odd years oh my to God. be in the film. And, uh, well, then I, didn't, then I did a short film 10 years, 11 years later, go by until I do another film. In 86, I did a short called Feathers, which... Um, was an adaptation of a Raymond Carver, the American, well, the yeah. late Raymond Carver, a short story called Feathers. And then four years later, I did um, Death in Brunswick. And then... How did you get into filmmaking? Uh, well, my father was a panel beater, but um, in the 50s, when um, he had an old 16mm projector and he would get a feature film each weekend and the next door neighbour who was Greek and ran a fish and chip shop and... Um, Pasco Vale, they would swap feature films. Oh. So by the time when I was, my earliest recollections is being told to sit in the lounge room chair with the rest of the neighbours and watch the film, don't speak. Oh, fantastic. And although my father was around a panel beating shop, he had a 16mm old Pathé and he used to make uh, movies of the uh, of the um, panel beaters. Really? Mucking around, you know. Oh, isn't that fantastic? They dress up, so I suppose I got it from him. Oh, that's fantastic. So... 
there that's, you go. That's a truly remarkable thing. Did, did he? Where did he get the films from? The features from? I used to hire them from. Uh, there was a place in Kingsway that you know from the distributors. A lot of people would hire a sixteen mil print, a feature film, and just show it on the lounge room wall. Really? Yeah. I and then we that. had the cinema up the road, the old Progress in um, Coburg. Mm. I used to go to that, and then there was a fantastic cinema in Sydney Road, Brunswick, called the Padua, which was brilliant. I used to go to the Saturday afternoon matinees, and they had a little, um, where you bought your ticket, looked like a little spaceship. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah, that yeah. was good. And uh, I don't know, I went to La Trobe and started doing uh, Latin American history, and then I was doing Dip Ed concurrently, and I went out in my first teaching round at Nidri High, and I gave a lesson, to the, an English lesson, and afterwards I said to, I remember, Mr. Fry was the teacher, and Mr. Bruce Fry, and I said, Mr. Fry, I was absolutely appalling. I don't think I imparted any knowledge at all to any of the students. He said, my dear boy, you were, you were perfect. Uh, not a single child had their eye gouged out. No one was knocked unconscious. Um, impart knowledge. We're here to... Um, you know, to babysit, look after them, make sure they don't damage each other or, or or me. So, yeah, I thought, I don't think I can be a teacher. So uh, I got a... I've it's got no creative element. I think it does. I mean, it does. It, but it, I mean, of course you, it does. From when you were a young chap there like I, that. I thought I couldn't handle it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't control people. So... Um, uh, but that's not entirely true. I mean, being a director, it seems to me, you have to actually inspire enough courage in people to uh, stand the distance of a shoot as well as the rest of the, uh, well, the trauma. Un- well, the thing is, Annie, though, you're all theoretically on the same page, you know. It's written down what you're going to do. And uh, you're all going to be famous. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I never thought that. <laughs> uh, no, you didn't start off thinking you are going to be famous? Well, I, I wish or I could say you? I was famous, but no, I didn't. No, no, I, I don't mean it like that. Uh, these days, I, I talk to different people and they do have um, an emotional investment in the creative process of the making of the film. And quite often, they do, these days, think that they're going to be catapulted into the stratosphere of fame. Now, which is not an unreasonable thing. But what I'm getting at is that did you actually not think that? You thought you were actually making something that was important statement in a creative sense well, I, at that time yeah I think that's all I just really wanted to with Queensland I wanted to tell a story of a couple of no hopers and uh, then I and with I suppose Death in Brunswick uh, I thought it was a funny book but I the book is much uh, by Boyd Oxlade is much much tougher than the film is um, uh, and he, his Carl in that book is much more acidic than than the Carl in our film, and it was played by Sam Neill. But I was uh, doing Death in Brunswick. It was just I thought I never thought about the film would be big or anything. I just thought I just wanted to get through it. <laughs> I remember I would uh, the first AD uh, John would pick me up and we'd we'd drive out to Brunswick, and I used to think I wish the film was set. In Broad Meadows, because we get here too quick. <laughs> you know, you need thinking time. I wanted. I, I think I was uh, mostly scared every day that I wouldn't complete the day. Oh, that's and people say, "Did you enjoy making the film?" Well, I did, in retrospect. But it was just, you know, you had to finish the day because tomorrow has its own problems, and so uh, and we had no money to sort of do any overtime. So when the clock finished, you know, it, it that was it. 
Um, but you were a, a remarkable little group of people because, you know, your camera person. Yeah, Alry Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you guys have worked together before. Yeah, you well, did the I, Queensland film. Yeah, I met him at, uh, at Swinburne, yeah. yeah. And so he has shot basically all the, well, the few films I've done, he, sh- yeah. he shot them. Yeah. Which is good because then you kind of, um, I suppose you've got a slight shorthand, you know, and you don't have to prove yourself to the DOP or something, I suppose, that you're not a complete idiot. Um, and Ellery's pretty good at lighting, so... Yeah, that's fantastic. Very unassuming. How did you get to Swinburne? Well, uh, after I decided to drop out of the... Uh, and pay the education bond back, I uh, heard about the um, film course. And so I applied. And so I went there in 1973. Yeah. And uh, I... I I remember being at La Trobe doing Mexican history, and they said, uh, why did you choose this topic? And I said... They're always asking questions. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, I love the film Viva Zapata. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Directed by Eliza Kazan, yeah. Marlon Brando. And I thought, actually, I love the film more than I think I love Mexican history. And I, yeah, I just thought, well, I'll give it a go and apply for the film school. Mm. Um, Do you see things in a filmic way? Did you have a sort of an idea of how you were creating your images? Well, look, uh, I, um, I remember when I got to film school, it was suddenly with everybody was on the same page again. You know, Everybody wanted to make a film. Not a feature film, but everybody just wanted to make a short film. Anything. Uh, anything. And uh, just being with like-minded people, and uh, I remember Winston Thomas was our first-year lecturer, and he showed us a lot of films that I hadn't seen before. I remember I saw Tokyo Story by ah. Ozu, mm-hmm. which I was watching the first five minutes. That's a very long film. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. oh, my God, I'll never get through this. <laughs> you know, the camera never moves. It's all shot at um, yeah. what, eye level or when they're all on the floor. And it, it was absolutely riveting. You know, it goes, what, two and a half hours, and it's, you know, just a family relationship with the old people who... Who aren't who come from the country and visit their children, but it was a it's a work of pure genius. Yeah, and I suppose I was reading the film magazines. I was just in love with the whole thing about film and and images. And I mean, I had gone to a the Aquarius Film School at Melbourne Uni in the beginning of '72, and again, when you made you know it was three weeks and you made a short film. And I remember at that time, uh, Tim Burstall's film came out, um, Stork, mm-hmm. which Okay, it's not the world's greatest film, but... It's pretty funny. But it's got a lot of funny scenes in it, and yeah. it was an Australian film. Mm. And it was the first Australian feature I think I'd seen. Yes, that's right. And this is what people need to get acro- uh, needs to be got across, that this was actually a, uh, a thing about uh, coming of age, in a sense, as, Australian, oh, as Australians, that we live here and this is what we're doing. Well, I remember actually when I was at... Uh, school, the English teacher took us out to Eston Airport and Rudolf Nureyev was making Don Quixote in a hangar out there with Robert Helpman. Yeah. Now, and uh, so we went out to watch it film for a day. Wow. Uh, what a good teacher. And the uh, DOP was Jeffrey Unsworth, who'd shot 2001. Oh. And I knew who Jeffrey Unsworth was. And I spent the whole afternoon thinking, I would just like to go over and, and ask for his autograph. Um, but um, just when I was getting courage, Nureyev threw a complete fit, I was swearing and yelling and screaming at everybody, and Robert Helpman sort of walked off set. And so I thought, and Jeffrey Unsworth looked like he was throwing his hands up in the air in despair. Uh, so I thought, no, I think maybe it's not the time. <laughs> but, a brush with fame. A brush with fame, but always, it's 
I'll take that to the grave. I regret not going over to tell him what a great man he was. Yeah, that's right. And actually, it's interesting because people who are great like that do appreciate it. Here's a weird one for you. Once I was at the Cannes Film Festival and I got into a lift and the only other person in the lift with me was Diane Keaton. Oh, cool. And I thought, my God, that looks like Diane Keaton. And... She could tell I was staring at her, but you know she she wasn't facing me. Mm. But when the lift opened, she turned around and looked at me, and she said, "Yes, it is me." <laughs> so it was a little brush with of Hollywood Another fame. little brush with paint. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, with Death and Brunswick, when I actually did get to Los Angeles or to Hollywood, and you know, I suppose because I never saw it as you know wanting to be famous or. I went out to dinner with the uh, distributor who was going to try and run the picture in America. Which they called a stupid name. I well, think. it was going to be called the, it was going to be called Nowhere to Lose, which I said was a d- double negative, you know, because they mm-hmm. said death was a. Well, that, yeah, they thought that. No was one would good. go and see a film with the title Death, and I said, well, what about Death Wish? One, two, three, you know, yeah. um, with uh, Charles Charles Bronson, was it? Mm. They're, they're foolish people. Anyway, so and he said, would you like to do a film in America? And I said. I suppose, I suppose so. I suppose we're supposed to want to do that. I suppose I would. And he said, "Well, I've got a little picture, and it's uh, you know, and told me what it was about, and it, the budget was smaller than Death and Brunswick's budget." And I said, "Well, who will we get for the DOP for that film? You know, at that price?" And he said, "Buddy, there'd be you know a thousand guys breaking their neck to try and do this film." And I thought, "Well, there'd probably be ten thousand trying to do that to direct it." No, I don't want to do it. And then I met someone else, and they talked about remaking Death in Brunswick. My goodness. And I thought, well, I've just finished the film. Why would I want to remake it? Oh, in America. In America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what they're doing now, with everything. No, with everything. <laughs> I, wish I wish they'd do it now. But uh, And I thought, no, why would I want to do that? I mean, why would I want to go back and do that? But... Anyway, well, it's interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I didn't. It's I about suppose money. it's all about money uh, and safe bets. Not having an overseas career, I can only put down to my own naivety and stupidity. And I suppose I just didn't want to. I suppose I didn't really want to be in America. I'd made a film about a very Australian place, Brunswick, and I thought if I wanted to do anything more, I wanted to do something in Australia. I didn't know why everybody wanted to go to America. It's interesting, I think, uh, that it's, um, oh, for our listeners, I'm talking to, uh, this is Annie on Showreel, and I'm talking to John Ruane, the director and uh, co-writer of Death in Brunswick, which is going to be having a a 25-year re-screening at uh, Nova on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, at uh, 6.30? Uh, 5.45, quarter to six, Quarter to six. Yeah. Oh, don't get it wrong. Don't don't arrive late. And it's going to have a and a which is going to be fantastic. Um, so I think that that's got something to do with something else completely different. Uh, there are some people who are artistically inclined who are also quite supremely good at business. How, how do you fit in there? How did you get your money for death in Brunswick? Well, um, Boyd Oxlade wrote the book. In fact, you can still buy the book, and um, oh, so he had it published, it had, and people it, had no, it hadn't, it. Ac- it hadn't actually been published. But oh, right. I knew Boyd. Uh, well, um, he Boyd is Elry's cousin. Oh, right. Uh, I was Elry's cousin, and um, I remember him ringing up and saying, "Hey, man, you know, I'm cooking down here at Bombay Rock, and uh, 
Ah, oh, Bombay you, Rock. You, you, you wouldn't believe what the bounces are like, you know, they're really heavy. Anyway, and then he said he was going to write a book, and he did write a book because by day he was the grave digger, a grave digger at Melbourne Cemetery, and by night he was cooking at Bombay Rock. And if people don't know this, Bombay Rock was a hugely important uh, out, um, uh, venue for a, the in the resurgence of Australian music, uh, the the big live scene that was Melbourne at that time in the seventies which is now something else completely different. But it was in Carlton, wasn't it? No, no, it's in Sydney Road. Brunswick. Sydney Road? Yeah, and I think it was quite infamous too to the local police. Yes, it was. <laughs> and uh, so Boyd wrote, really, so he turned himself into two characters, Carl and Dave. And, um, That's I th- amazing. I think while he'd been there... What an imaginative feat. Yeah, and while he was there, I think someone was stabbed. And um, he's, uh, he had a Turkish... Um, kitchen hand and uh so yeah he turned it into to a book and i remember uh so i got to read the galleys as they say and um it didn't quite have an ending but i think crawford productions were interested in it which i didn't know anyway um boyd and i co-wrote it and then um then we thought it was tim white was the producer and then um we thought it was quite a good script went and but the afc turned it down not once, but twice for funding. Why? Well, I remember the first time... Um, cause to I'd, Australia. I'd made this film, Feathers, which was quite popular. Yeah, it was. And uh, the head of the AFC, I remember going down to see her, and uh, she said, uh, look, dear boy, you know, you've made quite a, a good short film. I would hate to see you destroy what career you may have by making this shocking, awful story, this juvenile story. And um, <laughs> and then the second time when we had a new head of the AOC... And you I mean, them. it's a little bit like um, in the past, they had all those theories about what was what things were worthy to be painted. Well, I think it was... Yeah, perhaps so. I think because it was a comedy. Um, and the second time, the person who was the head of the AOC said the film was too commercial and they wouldn't fund it. So... Well, that's interesting. It's bizarre, really. And uh, then, really, the film only happened because an American company um, put up some money on a, for a pre-sale, which they didn't actually put up the money, but they would pay, theoretically. So Bryce Menzies and executive producer and Tim White mortgaged their houses so to put the film together. Wow. So I remember them, Tim saying to me, if this doesn't work, uh, we're out in the street. Uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of pressure on. Yeah. And um, then the key personnel and the crew deferred 30% of their wage which none of us have ever received the film has never broken even mm. and uh, I think we had one although you did make over two million dollars yeah it took nearly three at the box office um, but you'd, you'd only get about you know like one dollar and six mm. you know don't yeah. make, don't make like. and uh, yeah so it just squeaked it, the budget was about 2.1 and then Sam Neill decided to do the film and I had no knowledge that And this was after my brilliant career? Oh yeah, before? yeah, well yeah, yeah. after my brilliant career. I think he'd just done Hunt for Red October. Yeah, right. And, um, Huge film. He was about to go and do um the Green Ants Dreaming, is that the Yeah, the, the Her- one Herzog film. Yeah. And uh, the production actually stalled. So he actually had a a know, window. A window, as they say. So um yeah, he just I remember him 
being a little bit unsure whether he wanted to do the um Shanahan was still alive then you know who, who ran Shanahan's and he'd liked um the you know the actors agency he'd liked feathers very much and so I think he recommended Sam Neill should do this film because it would either work and uh it would be good for his career or it would be awful and no one would see it so it wouldn't matter and he came over to see us. Wise agent. Wise agent. He came over to see us where Vicky and I were living. And um, we'd had a flea plague in the house. And uh, I remember <laughs> Vicky was putting mint down on the carpet to stop all the fleas. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to arrive. We've got fleas everywhere. So we, we rushed out to Godfrey's and bought a vacuum cleaner. Came back, cleaned up all the fleas and the, and the mint. And then he arrived and he had a beautiful white linen pants on. And, you know, he was looked like out of vogue and he sat down we were chatting and then he looked down on his white trousers and he said <laughs> is that a flea is that is that a flea on my trousers and i remember thinking well okay he's probably not going to do the film now but i'll be able to write a great article i picked the flea off sam neil's trousers because i i quickly picked the flea off and um anyway decided to do the film wise decision actually by him because i think it's the best thing he's 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 done apart from my brilliant career and that film we were chatting about where he was the um vicar who thought he was a dog the vicar who thought he was a dog who i uh, yeah i know it's an english film and i do know i remember thinking this is a really interesting kind of thing but i did put in a bid for the orangutan ad (laughs) (laughs) well i always wanted john clark to be in the film he was the only person i really was set on to um to be in it and um tim's idea was to have sam neill because i never thought that big you know and um, well, John Clark he presented his own problems. I'm sure you won't mind me saying because he agreed to do the film, but the film was was up to the American company to um, to because we here Village Roadshow, Hoyt's Great Union, all quite liked it, but they wouldn't put any money up for it. Well, yeah, right. And so, if it wasn't for the overseas film group, the film would never have happened. And they had approval of the two leads, and um, so I, I said to John, they want to see you a tape of you audition. And um, he said, oh, well, you can come out, after a lot of pleading, he said, you can come out and you know, I'll, I'll do something in the kitchen, I'll just talk to you. And then when I was supposed to drive over there that morning, to Greensboro or whatever, he rang up and said, look, I've decided not to do it. And I said, why? Do you either want me or you don't? Correct. He said, I'm not going to give them, the Americans, uh, ammunition to say no to me. So if you really want me, you'll fight for me and I'll get the role. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Bugger off. Bugger off, yeah. So... Tim convinced them and, I mean, well, you know. And, and the rest is history. The rest is history because they're such a great combination on the screen. Mm. And this leads me into uh, this great quote from John Clark, which tells you an awful lot about John Clark, but also about uh, Boyd Oxlade, who wrote The uh, Death in Brunswick, and gives you an idea of just the extraordinary nature of this film, why it's so interesting to go and see. And not only that, it's very funny, I have to say. It's a real hoot. But uh, John Clark said about uh, Oxlade in an obituary article, um, but it's uh, simultaneously also a Russian novel, a surreal expression of contemporary alienation, a Raymond Carver story, a comedy in which an Evelyn Warren character is trapped in a Dashiell Hammett novel and a fabulous memoir said Clark. Whenever he talked about his own experiences, I pulled up a chair. Isn't that just delicious? Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good. What do you do? I mean, if you're a literary person out there, you will understand just the gravity of um, of what uh, John Clark's actually saying about Death in Brunswick and the author of Death in Brunswick. Yeah. 
Well, it's uh, it's the greatest pity that Boyd is not going to be there to see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really. he died last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, he obviously struggled. Or he had uh, cancer, so yeah. it was. Uh, it must have been, you know. But uh, as his sister said in the same article, he he wasn't a um, sad character. He was a very happy man, and he enjoyed life. He was a very unusual person, Boyd. One of a kind. Uh, he'd read everything. He'd seen everything and he'd heard everything. I'd say, I, I just, uh, I, I want to go and see this film. He said, I've seen it, man. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, should see it. Yeah. Um, he he spoke in little short staccato sentences. Um, but yeah. But he went to Monash and he went to Xavier College, um, and uh, he. Uh, it. I think the story of this man inspires in me a whole range of memories of that period of time um, that I'm not sure people understand that sort of incredible flowering of uh, intellectual and creative uh, presence in that period which was not related to having a um, a suited jo- a job where you wore a suit. That's it was, it was all part of something else. Well, yeah, Boyd was on the dole for what, nine years straight and he wrote the book during that time yeah yeah and what a book and lived lived in brunswick yeah amazing absolutely amazing Where, oh uh tell us about um uh what you've been doing since death in brunswick well i haven't been doing a lot in the last i've i've written a few projects over the last 10 years about f- five projects of which none of them actually ever happened yeah. yeah really hard hard deal isn't it being a filmmaker well sometimes uh i mean i um I did an adaptation of a Maeve Binchy oh, yes. uh, novel, which I thought was very good, and Irish television quite liked, but then the ABC decided not to go ahead with it. Um, I did a version of Snowtown, which oh. I spent a few years on, based on one of the books. Yep. And Well, I mean, that was an excellent film. That was an excellent film, and I think they probably did a better, would, did a better job than it's I probably would do. very creepy film. Yeah. Well, was, very creepy story. <laughs> that was scary. And I, I did recently I did a series with um, Jackie McKimmy for the ABC, which they decided not to go ahead with. Mm. Well, the ABC's been a bit gutted and... Well, yeah. So, yes, I mean, you can be lucky and unlucky. Yeah. Never mind. Something will turn up. And, um, of course, this uh, everybody will be um, reacquainted with your work on Sunday if they go down and see A Death in Brunswick at Nova. Well, yeah, I think people will just... Uh, I think you'll get a laugh out of it. I, oh, yeah. And there is, there is a scene, um, yeah, a couple of minutes in, people laugh at that scene within the first th- three minutes of the film. I know they'll enjoy the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was one out of the box and uh, still has legs. And I was uh, talking to uh, a doctor from around, Joe, Joe, who was just in Talk Back with, uh, added, uh, Talk Back with Attitude. He said that... Uh, he hasn't seen the film. I tell him he should go and see it. And uh, then he started to talk to me about what was probably the premise of the film, which was double burials in um, in uh, the Melbourne uh, city cemetery. Uh, yeah, there was a, cemetery. a funeral parlour uh, that was reselling certain plots a number of times. Yeah. Um, so he can swear to the veracity of that storyline. Yeah, uh, the, there was a murder a few years ago that actually used the same technique to dispose of the body. Oh, goodness me. And based, maybe they saw the film. Yeah, maybe they saw the film. Go go down to the Nova on Sunday, this Sunday, quarter to six, and uh, make sure you turn up to watch one of the best Australian films that's ever been made. Thanks for coming in and talking to me, John. 
pleasure. Yeah, John Ruane, the director of Death in Brunswick, and we're going out with. Uh, I have to play it again because I just love it. Warrior, Warrior in Woolworths by X-Ray Speck, and coming up next is Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.